Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Good morning and welcome to Talkback Gardening. Good morning, John. Good morning, Deb, and good morning, gardeners, particularly gardeners that have got problems with broken branches and fallen limbs and maybe the roots of the trees are sticking out of the ground and there is just mayhem as a result of the buffeting winds that accompany those widespread rains that seem to go on and on and soak the topsoil. A solution is hand, and we'll be talking to one of our top consulting arborists very, very shortly. He'll take a look at uh, um, why the problem, what to do, and more importantly, what we can do in the future, maybe, to prevent that kind of a damage. But uh, we'll also, later in the program, have a look at those saturated lawns, and can we get them looking picture uh, colourful uh, in ready for Christmas Day. Yes, with Stephen Palm oh. will be joining us. Michael Palamountain is going to be speaking with us about trees. So if you've had tree damage, and certainly I uh, did a walk around my garden, and yes, uh, a limb's come down from one of my trees, and we'll be talking about how to prevent that from the future because, of course, we have more and more of these extreme weather events on the horizon. So good ideas there. So if you've got a question for him, jump in now, please, on 1300 991. We'll return to general talkback gardening calls a little later in the program. And also I've got three ABC Gardening Australia magazines to give away a little later in the program as well. We'll give away two on the phone line and one on the text line. So if you've got your text number ready, it's 0467 Put your name and postal address and get ready for us to ask you to send that in or call in. And the phone number is 1300 991. We've only got Michael for a certain amount of time, so jump in if you'd like to talk to him very shortly. During the past two weeks, we've had unprecedented rains, 60 millimetres and more, and that followed a similar rains towards the end of last month. But the rains, though accompanied by most unusual, unprecedented, strong, buffeting winds, and it's the combination of the wet soils and the wind, I think, that's probably caused a lot of damage. So uh, let's see if we can't have a look at why... Many trees have got broken branches and fallen limbs and uprooted trees. And what can we do about it? And can we actually help prevent it in future? The person who's going to help us is Michael Palamountain. Michael is a regular arborist on this program. He's our go-to person where trees are concerned. So welcome back to Talk Back Gardening, Michael. Good morning, John. Good morning, Deb. So let's take a look at uh, the buffeting winds. They've caused considerable damage in some gardens. How would you uh, describe the damage that's out there? Well, the weather we had uh, last Monday, we do have these sorts of weather events in Adelaide in most years. Uh, The difference with this weather event was that we had high rainfall Uh, late in November with a a rain event of 30 millimetres plus in one day, followed by um, another high rainfall event on last Sunday, the 10th of December, the day before the storm, with another 30 mils uh, of rainfall on the plains and up to 40-odd mil uh, of rain up in the Adelaide Hills around Mount Lofty. So we had the saturated soils leading up to the weather event, on the Monday, we had strong winds from the southeast, which is a little bit unusual. Most of our strong winds will come from the southwest, or we will get the odd strong wind event from the north. But this came from the east or southeast, which was a little bit unexpected. So I think these uh, combination of factors contributed to, to some of the branch failure events and tree failures that people might have experienced. We'll come back to that wind from the southeast uh, shortly. But Can I just uh, say I'm looking right now at a photograph that someone has sent through of a tree that has gone right over and it's taken that first 
40, 50 centimetres of all of its roots and uh, it's completely upturned. Okay, and that's the situation we need to address. So, Michael, perhaps what we might do is is look at the elements of the weather in in, in different aspects. So so we take a look at uh, uh, the effect of the wind. We also take a look at the the fact that the soil is is very, very wet. Maybe we start with the topsoil. Now, living uh, turf, uh, they're the people who provide our soil temperatures on Talkback Gardening and uh, their agronomist has actually sent in uh, information saying that the topsoil across Adelaide generally is soaked to 40 centimetres. So what's the consequences of strong buffeting winds and 40 centimetres of topsoil moisture? Well, the tree roots and the soil uh, work together to hold the tree upright and we need the soil to be at a certain level of moisture to provide adequate cohesion to keep the tree roots and the tree structure stable and in the ground. Once we get the excessive moisture levels, then the soil cohesion reduces, the soil becomes slipperier, shall we say, and then we add in an external force such as a wind event and then we uh, have a higher likelihood of tree roots moving in the ground and trees partially moving in the ground or uh, falling over entirely. Could the problem be aggravated by the fact that maybe uh, we have trees in the garden and we tend to let them look after themselves and rather than giving them good deep soakings, uh, they've got a a root system perhaps as not as extensive as it should be? Well, that might be the case in some gardens. Uh, Certainly trees uh, that are adapted to our local soil conditions without supplementary irrigation will tend to develop a... Um, some shallow roots, but uh, they'll also be encouraged to develop deeper roots. But if we uh, spoil our trees and over-irrigate, we can uh, encourage tree roots to stay closer to the surface, which means they'll be more susceptible during a wind event. What would be a good, healthy root system on, say, an average fruit tree, an apple or pear or stone fruit tree? How how deep? Well, typically a tree root system is actually shallow and widespread. So tree roots are typically found in the top half metre of soil depth down to one metre in soil depth. And that will depend on soil texture. So the sandier soils with a higher oxygen or air content or more pore spaces, tree roots tend to develop deeper in the soil profile, whereas the heavier clay soils with less pore spaces tree roots tend to stay closer to the surface. So it will depend on the different garden settings that people have, what type soil types they have, as to the depth of tree rooting that they might develop in their trees. Well, let's take a look at those trees that have fallen over or half fallen over and they've got roots sticking out of the ground. Should you... Uh, let's say there's a tree and it, it's half it's half over uh, and it's got some roots in the ground and it's got some roots sticking out of the ground. Uh, should you try and repair it or should you say uh, goodbye? Look, I think um, with the younger trees, they, there's a, a greater chance of success uh, in returning the trees uh, to an upright position. So their root system will be more flexible. The trees can be turned upright and we can stake them, uh, use some supplementary support. Uh, It is important that whatever supplementary uh, support you give to a tree, such as staking, is only temporary. We don't want to provide support for a tree permanently, otherwise trees won't be stimulated to develop a strong root system or strong buttressing in the lower half of the trunk. Yes, if you go to a stake... The older trees... Sorry, John. No, 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 you keep going, keep going. Uh, With the older trees, however, once the roots become large and woody, if they topple over, there's a a risk that many of them will break and they're less flexible um, close to the base of the trunk. So uprighting some of the older trees with woody roots may not be so successful. I have tried it in the past, sometimes with some success and other times breaking the remaining roots that were intact. So if a tree has fallen over and it does have large woody roots, perhaps the gardener could think, uh, consider leaving the tree lying down. It happens in nature. Trees can fall over. And if a, a small number of roots are intact, the tree can continue on. 
It might have an unusual form, but it'll still be an interesting feature in the garden. It certainly would. That's a beautiful idea. Just coming back to staking, many people say, oh, I'll just put one nice, big, strong tomato stake next to the trunk. Is that the way to go, or should you perhaps uh, modify that thought? Well, a bit tongue-in-cheek here, John. I don't think trees and plants run away, so we don't need to chain them up. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Uh, But uh, would you put, say, three stakes around the tree uh, in in a triangle rather than just sort of uh, make it stick rigidly to one central stem or or stake? Yeah, that's right, John. So trees, a little bit like people, uh, need to be exercised. when we uh, allow a tree to move with uh, wing loading, um, it stimulates cell growth and wood production at the base of the stem and in the root crown to provide the support that the tree needs. So if we stake it too tightly, the, the, we don't stimulate the development of uh, wood growth and root development close to the base of the tree, so they don't get strong enough to support themselves. So loose staking is much more suitable to assist the tree in developing strong roots and strong taper at the base of the trunk and then you would gradually loosen that off and with a view to remove it after one or two years. We're chatting with Michael Pellamountain and he's one of our top arborists and we're taking a look at the damage that's been caused by the wind and the the moist soils and things like that and Probably at this stage, I think people might like to come in with some questions. Well, if you do, you better ring now. one 800 is the number. one 800 If you've got a damaged tree in your garden and you'd like some advice straight from the man himself, Michael Palamountain, and one of our very wonderful senior consulting arborists, now is the time to do it. Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. After the wild winds of last week, lots of tree damage in uh, gardens around Adelaide and in South Australia. If you have one of them and you'd like some advice directly from Michael Palamountain, a senior consulting arborist, now is the time to call. Now, Martin in Gawla has done just that. Good morning, Martin. Good morning. What a beautiful day. It's gorgeous, isn't it? Yep. Uh, look, I'm, I'm a um, volunteer gardener at a local kindy up here and uh, I had two dwarf flowering pears that I put in the upright version uh, probably six or seven years ago. A couple of years ago, they f- went over more than 45 degrees in a storm. I, I staked them up to, to a couple of posts and then they were going really well, so I released them a year ago. But the storm... I came back up, visited up the storm, and they're both over more than 45 degrees again. They're about four to five metres tall, so it's hard to, to just leave it at 45 degrees. What else can I do besides pulling it up straight and waiting to sort of see how they go over summer? Good question, Martin. Yeah, certainly, um, generally speaking, if a tree partially blows over and it's young enough, uh, correcting it by putting it upright and staying it can assist. Sometimes we find that trees that have been grown in a nursery can develop uh, girdling or circling roots. Now, I'm not sure if that's the case with your particular trees, but in some instances where there are girdling or circling roots that go around in circles rather than radiating outwards away from the base of the tree, if we have this problem, um, tree roots uh, are less likely to develop out in a radiating pattern to provide the support that a tree needs. So even though you are trying to correct it, the root architecture or the pattern of root development is not facilitating the root development the way you want it, and it may not ever be able to develop a a stable form. So that might need a little bit of investigating, digging around, having a look to see if there are big girdling and circling roots. In some cases, you might be able to prune off some small girdling roots In other cases where it's uh, well entrenched into the root system, it may be too late and you may need to start again. Trees are very valuable in a garden. Mm. Perhaps there is good advice in getting good advice 
uh, calling in an arborist, maybe if you're not too sure what to do yourself. Mm, no, well, interesting question there, Martin, and uh, one that needs a bit more investigation. Uh, thank you to the texter that said, very little damage to our reserve trees along the railway, an excellent windbreak for us here at Elizabeth South. And that's the value of trees. Some might go over, but many are there to protect other trees. Jane has called in from Kilburn on 1300 222 Good morning, Jane. Um, good morning. What's the problem there, Jane? Uh, the problem is that I've got an old uh, jacaranda tree. It's probably over 70 years old. And the trunk has gone up uh, over its lifetime, um, has gone up and has split in three directions. So at a very high point above my head, it is held together with clothesline wire, heavy-duty clothesline wire, which ha- over the years has bit into the bark of the trunk. And lots of the tree canopy at the top is drying off. The branches are dying off. I know that it, that means it's not getting the, the nutrients up that it should be getting. What can we do to salvage this tree, which is, if, if the wire were removed, those three splits would split away at the ground level. Yes, Jane. Uh, if your tree does start to split, then we'd, you know, there are options to try and preserve the tree uh, with what we might call cabling and bracing. So, uh, unfortunately, wrapping wire around uh, a tree or clothesline wire or any type of strapping, wrapping it around the stems, uh, eventually, as the tree tries to increase in girth, we start to crush the vascular tissues. We've got uh, phloem and xylem, which play an important role in water and nutrients moving up to the crown of the tree to provide water for the leaves for photosynthesis. And at the same time, we've got vessels uh, going down, moving the sugars from photosynthesis down to the root system. Once we start to crush those vessels, then we get a decline in tree health, which is what you might be experiencing. Now, the better way to do this would be uh, drilling through the affected tree parts and uh, installing steel bracing rods and then potentially putting loose cabling between stems higher up in the tree. This is a fairly specialised task that requires uh, correct equipment and and know-how. So in your case, Jane, um, if the tree is important, then it might be worth investigating getting an arborist out to install a cabling and bracing system, uh, and that would need to be installed before the damaging wire is removed. So it sounds like a pretty big job there, Jane, so good luck with that. Thank you to Dave on the text line has sent through a pretty amazing picture, John, of a uh, platypus eucalyptus tree that has fallen on the house, uh, saying, I won't plant them again as they branch from the base and split easily. Tree choice is crucial, I feel, says Dave. You'd agree, Michael, that you have to be careful about what trees you plant close to your house? I, I would. Um, I'd be a bit careful about generalising. Uh, platypus gums uh, uh, can be problematic where stems can split apart at ground level. But just like humans, we have varying genetics within tree species. So some individuals of the platypus gum can be far more stable than other individuals. So it sounds like he may well have uh, got perhaps the runt of the litter there. Yeah, OK. Could I just come back to the fact that uh, trees are valuable and that uh, there are times when probably you do need the advice of an arborist. Could you just give us a broad brush picture of how much would it cost per hour to bring an arborist in to give a a sensible comment on the problem? Okay, so we've got arborists at different levels, John. So a a level three arborist or an arborist who's trained with certificate three in arboriculture is one that's a, a tree worker. They can perform a good quality tree pruning work. Uh, they understand tree anatomy and biology and the consequences of good uh, or poor quality pruning. The next level up would be a diploma arborist or a level five arborist. And they're the consulting arborists uh, who provide more specialised advice on trees. And the um, hourly rate for an arborist uh, would typically fall between about $150 an hour about $250 an hour 
depending on their level of experience, qualifications and expertise. All right, thank you very much for that. And of course there are arborists, if you follow up, uh, you'll find that there are consulting arborists and there are just ordinary arborists, so just make sure that you check on the qualifications of the person that you're talking to. Yes, great reminder. Jane has called in from Willow Creek. Um, What fruit trees have been affected by this weather, Jane? Uh, Good morning. Um, Yes, we've just lost um, a few branches off um, peaches and nectarines um, that were heavily laden in fruit. Um, And I'd prune them to a beautiful, they're only young trees, a couple of years old, and I'd prune them to a beautiful pyramid shape. And now I've lost some of those central um, limbs. Some of them haven't quite broken. Some of them are sort of half peeled off. I'm just wondering if Michael could give advice on, do I just decide to prune it straight off and take on a different shape or can you sort of take off some of the limbs and then try and um, bring the two broken pieces together? Well, Jane, I think you've raised an issue that John was moving to, which is broken branches. And in fact, on the text line, Henry from Delamere asks the same question. Does the damage left on trunk by ripped off branches need treating? So let's hear all about that, John. Yes, let's look at that, um, if we may, Michael. So the winds are coming along, they're buffeting, and all of a sudden you've got a broken branch on a, a nice, attractive tree. Um, should you try and repair it um, And if you're going to do that, do you chop just behind where it's broken or do you take the whole limb off? Uh, Some advice, please. Yeah, look, there will be varying levels of damage that people might have in their trees. And like Jane said, uh, with her fruit trees, they might be young trees or perhaps someone might have a mature eucalypt. Um, And in each case, the level of damage will be unique and uh, we need to, I guess, treat each... Uh, tree damage uh, on a case-by-case basis. So with the younger trees, like Jane has at Willow Creek, perhaps they're a bit more forgiving. Um, It may be that branches are shortened to reduce the load and perhaps uh, some taping of the partially broken slender stems might hold them in place, uh, giving them sufficient time for new wood to develop to provide strength, which they have the potential to do. Uh, With older trees, um, it is complex. It might be that the damaged parts are uh, shortened to reduce their loading while keeping the damaged part in place if uh, acceptable to do so. If the damage is severe, uh, it might be that the damaged part needs to be removed back to the parent stem or a suitable growth point. But in each case, it would need to be carefully considered we need to keep in mind tree risk. Um, what par- what are the targets beneath the tree? Do we have garden areas where there are people on a very rare uh, frequency? Or are they busy areas like a childcare centre or um, a, a street tree where in a busy area where perhaps the, the risk and the consequences may be greater? So risk will determine the extent of tree management. Coming back to the but we need to be mindful that this is very specialised pruning, yes, repairing yes. A, a damaged tree. And I think if people have got damaged trees at home, the first thing is to make the area safe and not, you know, cordon off the area to prevent people from getting underneath there. And then if they're unsure, perhaps getting a qualified arborist in to guide them. Yes, the point you made before too, if you've got a branch and it's broken sort of two-thirds away along, uh, but there's uh, growing points, there are sub-branches behind that, cutting back to that sub-branch is is important. So that choice is important. Uh, We're going to run out of time, so I need to perhaps uh, shorten some of the questions that I was going to ask you. But perhaps most important, people want to know, if you uh, uh, do a saw cut, cut off the broken bit, do you repair? it or do you try and repair it by putting on some kind of a sealant or protectant? No we don't John. Um, Trees have been on the planet for between 250 to 400 million years and uh, us mere mortals have been here for maybe 100,000 years. Trees have figured it out. They can't run away from danger. They can't avoid danger. They've learnt to um, compartmentalise or deal with wounding and Heal off the area to prevent or resist the spread of decay, uh, and then they will continue to grow on. They have a will to live. They want to keep going. So trees are generally able to deal with um, 
uh, the spread of decay with a, a range of internal chemical and physical barriers. So painting wounds is not necessary. Yes, it's amazing just watching where a big branch has been taken off correctly and along comes the cambial layer and just uh, a few years later it, it covers itself. We need to move on to prevention, if we may, Michael. Um, and I suppose... Uh, there's the problem and it's happened but is it possible to reduce the likelihood of damage happening you're starting off with a new tree is it possible to train the trees start by pruning uh, and, and how would you go about the, let's just say it's an ornamental tree um, if it's going to go into you know relatively small garden and you're going to put that little tree it, you want it for shade maybe uh, from the afternoon sun but you want it to look attractive but you also don't want broken branches and you don't want it to fall over uh, what advice can you give in terms of looking after that tree in the first few years to get it established in the right shape, not only for the branches, but also the root system? Well, the first thing I'll say, John, is that trees don't want to be pruned or need to be pruned. We are wounding the tree in that process. And as I said before, 250 million years, they've worked it out. It's for the purposes of people that we need to prune trees, primarily for risk management and secondly for aesthetics. So if we have a young tree, uh, it is really important to do what we call formative pruning, identifying uh, features in the tree that may develop into risk features later on in life or defects. And if we can prune those out of a tree at a young age, we reduce the likelihood of uh, large stem or branch failures in the future. We can also train the form of the tree to have well-spaced branches. We can prune those trees so that they have acceptable length and don't get too long and heavy. And all of these pruning techniques start early on in life with formative pruning and continue on throughout the life of the tree as they mature and develop. And I would generally suggest uh, trees be looked at and pruned on a cycle of perhaps every three to five years, depending on the species and size and location. And if you're doing those sorts of things, you can certainly train the tree to reduce the likelihood of large branch of failure events from occurring. If we look at probably the ornamentals, probably a little bit smaller, things that grow up to, say, around about two metres tall. Um, often when uh, a tree is planted, I've been suggesting look, the best thing you can do is, is tip prune often so you end up with lots of shorter branches. Would you care to comment on that? And I'm quite happy to be criticised. Well, I'd say a tree that's two metres tall, the risk issues are generally going to be minute. So from a risk perspective, there's no need to, to prune such small trees. From an ornamental point of view, uh, tip pruning is really a form of hedging or keeping the form of the tree compact, which is more of an aesthetic approach, and certainly that does work for some of the smaller ornamental trees. Sure, okay. And the other area, uh, I suppose, is watering. We're looking at, say, righto, you've got to uh, uh, be careful and, and try and look at those branches, thin where needed, and, and, and get the right shape for the future. But the way we water is, is can be a bit of a worry, and many people, they plant their trees along the boundary and walk away. Um, and maybe that's not without consequences. Uh, some thoughts on watering trees, young trees, right from the start, uh, maybe so that they've got a, a bigger, uh, healthier root system and we don't, uh, we can reduce the potential for problems. Yeah, well, I think the first and foremost is species selection. Uh, we're in a Mediterranean climate characterised by dry, hot summers and mild, wetter winters. So selecting the species that tolerate those conditions is the first thing we can do. If we are going to irrigate, we do need to do it carefully. Um, water is important. It's one of the fundamental ingredients in photosynthesis, water and carbon dioxide. So trees do need water. And if they can cope with our natural rainfall, we don't need to add any more. But if we are going to water young trees, we certainly need to probably water the younger trees more frequently to help them become established for the first one to two years. Um, and then we can wean off on the irrigation as they become more established. But uh, as a general rule of thumb, I would say watering for 20 minutes every day is something we should be avoiding. So 
frequent short periods of irrigation are less desirable. Trees would benefit from less frequent irrigation for longer duration. So during the warmer months or the hotter months of the year, perhaps uh, tree owners can consider putting out a, hose, a sprinkler hose or a soaker hose and giving the tree a good long drink during those hot periods, perhaps once a week or once a fortnight. And when I say a long drink, I mean several hours at a time. Michael, uh, we know we're supposed to be letting you go now, but just a couple of quick calls if we can. Jeff from Nan, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me on. When I lived in far north Queensland, uh, because of the winds and cyclones, we experimented with deep root planting on native trees. And we discovered that if you plant them deeper than what you get them in a pot, they grow roots out from the bare bark. And we found that they stabilised a lot better in strong winds because of the root growth around the trunk. Michael, did you want to comment on that? Thanks, Jeff. Yes, certainly, Jeff. Uh, some trees will develop adventitious roots from the trunk, which is what you're expli- uh, describing there, and that can aid in uh, root uh, tree stability and it also helps in giving, developing more root mass for the tree to take up water and nutrients. But what we need to be mindful of is that the roots below, if they're planted too deeply into the soil profile, they don't have access to adequate pore spaces, which is where oxygen uh, is available, and those roots tend to die. So we may be encouraging root growth in the upper soil profile, that we can be causing root death in the lower soil profile. Okay, so we so just need to be a little bit careful of that. Need to get that balance right. Thank you. And finally, uh, Alvin in Port Parham, you've had an experience with platypus gum. What happened? Uh, okay, the first storm uh, in December, we lost two trees. Uh, we didn't lose them completely. The, the uh, platypus took a significant lean and... Uh, we had to take one branch off straight away and subsequent to that I've removed all growth up uh, above two metres on the uh, on, on the trunk um, in the hope that it might reshoot. Uh, we get very significant winds and uh, re- reducing the, uh, the the branches up above reduces the strain on down below. Um, have I done the right thing? Is it likely to survive or should I execute it completely? Okay, uh, execute a tree, interesting. So uh, I would say that removing the top of the tree is counterproductive. What we end up doing is creating a large wound to allow pathogens into the tree and we can increase the rate of decay, point number one. Uh, secondly, the, the growth regrowth that comes from your pruning points tends to be weaker than the tree branches. So while they're small, they'll look uh, vigorous and healthy, but as they become larger, they'll tend to start snapping out of the tree and you're back to where you started in the beginning. So um, taking the top of the tree off should be discouraged. What I'd suggest is that the platypus gums can be a good tree, but they can also have their problems. I'd look at a variety of species. So if you uh, increase your species diversity at your site with two or three different species, If you have problems with platypus gums, you're going to have other species that can continue on with perhaps less problems. Brilliant. Thanks, Alvin. Really appreciate your calls. Just a quick one before we say thank you and goodbye, Michael. Um, There's going to be a lot of litter on the ground, leaf litter, twig litter and material like that. Um, Should that be raked up and used as a mulch on our trees that are out there and uh, probably uh, have got a deep watering, but uh, will they benefit from a nice mulch at this time of the year? Well, uh, let's go back to 250 million years ago again, John. Um, <laughs> I like that. The trees were self-mulching. Uh, we should take a lesson from this. And certainly what trees produce is what they use to feed the soil beneath them, which uh, encourages good root growth. So certainly where possible, using uh, leaf material around the tree in the garden um, can be beneficial. What about bark? My whole backyard's covered in bark from my gums. Can I whack that around fruit trees, for example? 
Well, you can, but I'd be mixing it up with a mixture of uh, more nitrogenous material, leaf material, uh, whereas the bark is carbon heavy. So you want a combination of nitrogen and carbon in your mulch, so a combination of leaf material and bark material and not relying on one or the other. You are a font of knowledge, Michael Palamountain. I know we've kept you a lot longer than we said, but thank you so much. Wonderful information, Michael. That's all right. If you don't mind, I've just got one or two more comments about tree risk. I just uh, want to remind people that trees give us many benefits that we need, and we're losing more trees in Adelaide than we are planting. So it's important that people don't get over-concerned about tree risk. Because the overall risk from trees and branches falling and causing harm is is generally very low. So we should learn to accept some level of risk and with good tree management we can keep trees with acceptable levels of risk. And you're suggesting that we don't blame the tree, maybe it's the way we manage them and perhaps could improve our management. That's a part of it, that's right, John. Yeah, Michael, thank you very much once again for willing to share your information. You're one of our top arborists and I know you do a lot of work um, making sure that there are younger arborists coming along and are going to have uh, some of the information that you are so willing to share with our Talkback Gardening listeners. Look forward very much to next time we talk trees and uh, Michael Palamountain, have a very, very Merry Christmas. Great. Thanks so much, John, and thanks, Deb. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for joining us throughout 2023. Michael Palamountain, wonderful uh, senior consulting arborist. We are going back to your general talkback gardening calls. Call in now, one three hundred triple two eight nine one. We'll also speak to Stefan Palm, our turf consultant, about what to do with our lawns now that they're going berserk with all of this rain. And I've got three ABC Gardening Australia magazines to give away as well. All of that ahead. Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Lovely to be with you this morning. I love your general talkback gardening calls on 1300 891. Dorothy joins us from Port Neal. Good morning, Dorothy. Morning, everybody. We're good, um, thank got, you. I've got trouble with the um, mark, what big white markings on my uh, cucumbers, cucumber leaves, and some on the um, tomato leaves, it's the, white, the tomato ones are sort of white dot things. It seems to be on the top of the leaves and um, the cucumber leaves have, have sort of uh, gone out into holes where that, those white marks were. Just wonder what I could do, please. The white material on your cucumbers, is it looks like powder and can you wipe it? No, it's not. No, it's, it's not. So it's imbe- imbe- embedded into the leaf? Yes. And is there holes appearing or just... Yes. Little, yeah. Okay, so I suspect you've got some kind of little critter. Uh, There are a host of small caterpillars out there, and they can be most frustrating. Uh, I have a large number of ornamental plants, uh, coleus in particular, and little holes appear, and I look and I look and I look, and I can never find a caterpillar. But uh, if I spray with success which is an insecticide which is specific for caterpillars and nothing else or not much else, um, it controls the problem. So they are these absolutely minute, they must be sort of, you know, just a squidge and long, uh, big enough to sort of cause a little hole and they come out at night time. So I suspect that that's the particular problem there and also on your tomatoes as well. So they, It's different on the tomatoes. They're sort of little like white spot things uh, on the leaves. Uh, are they yeah, white or yellow? Are they tending more yellow than white? No, they're, no, they're white. They are white, yeah, okay. And I've, I've put, put in Tommy Toes this year. I always grow Mighty Reds and I put Tommy Toes in this year. Sure. But they've got so much growth on them, so many leaves and things, um, I don't think I'll do it again. And they're not those tiny little tomatoes, which is what I wanted. They would be... Oh, some of the bigger ones will be about two inches across diameter. Yes. Right. Uh, well, the important thing with tomatoes, they're going very, very... They're, they're producing lots and lots of leaves and, and sometimes flowers, but they're not setting. So back off on the uh, uh, fertiliser. No fertiliser on your tomatoes while they're no. in that situation. As uh, Dominic Cavallaro explained a couple of weeks ago, removing some of the lower leaves uh, yes. uh, will help uh, just reduce the amount of nutrients that are going into the plant and helps mm-hmm. slow it down. Um, 
so as for the, uh, I think there's going to be a lot of fungal spots out there, uh, leaf spots in particular, and identifying them is difficult. But the important thing is you can put on a protective spray and using probably a protective spray of Mancozeb Plus, I think would be very, very useful. Uh, if you want to, maybe just put, spray your tomatoes with sulfur, wettable sulfur. Uh, that will give you probably the protection you need. But if you want extra protection, use the Mancozeb Plus, which is, has both the Mancozeb so and you'd the... you'd use the Mancozeb Plus uh, on both the tomatoes and the cucumbers, or you would use the success on the cucumbers? Uh, the... Well, go easy with sulfur on your cucumbers. Uh, <laughs> there, I think, if you've got uh, powdery mildew... Oh, no, if you've got caterpillars, you've got success. That's a... Right. That's an insecticide. You can use that, and you can also use the Mancozeb Plus. You can put them on together or at the same time on the same day. That will give you the answer to that particular problem. Right. And you just use the Mancozeb Plus on the tomatoes? On your tomatoes, yeah. Yes. I think that would be very wise. And just have a look at your plants, your veggies. There's been a lot of wind damage out there, and you'll find that the wind, the leaves are going to be damaged, and that's because of the wind just bruising them and there'll be little flowers broken and things like that, but the, the, tree, the plants will repair themselves fairly quickly. Thank you very much, and happy Christmas to you all. <laughs> Thank you, Dorothy. Lovely to hear from you. Now, we are moving our attention to lawns, John, um, and just before we do, thank you to Andrew at Hope Valley. said he had a success story, survival story. My row of sunflowers blew over 45 degrees, but a week later they were a foot longer and new growth went vertical. Crazy plants. Interesting, yes. <laughs> okay. Now, our, what's going crazy at my house is my lawn. Uh, it's grown about three inches in about a week with the rain. So best to talk to an expert. In many gardens, the topsoil is super saturated and uh, that could have consequences in problems very, very shortly. And in other gardens, the lawn has been nice and healthy and uh, following the rain, it's already, as Debs explained, <laughs> going berserk. What to do? Just a few quick comments from our lawn turf uh, consultant, Stefan Palm. Good morning to you, Stefan. Good morning, John. Good and morning, Deb. Thanks for letting you borrow for a couple of minutes. So let's take a look. First of all, uh, the good healthy lawns. There are lots of good healthy lawns out there, and they've got you know probably 100 millimetres of rain. The topsoil is wet down to probably 40 centimetres. Um, what to do, particularly bearing in mind you want the lawn looking good for Christmas Day? Yeah, like, um, and it's it's fascinating to see you with all that extra rain, like um, Deb was just explaining then, and that's a common story around the neighbourhood. Um, carried all the nutrients down into the profile it's wet the roots deep down um it's it it results in a very very quick um transformation of a lot of lawns where you might not have expected that but look if you want to take full advantage of that um i would suggest that um that uh, mowing a bit more frequently just to keep the thatch down on your grass um just in the next few days week um would be helpful would you drop would you drop the blades a little bit lower or, or even lift them a bit higher um Oh, look, I think it's just frequency is the um, is the is the ticket there. Um, so, if, and I've noticed the same at my own my own house. I didn't necessarily um, change the mower height, but it was just, oh, look, I, I think I need a midweek mow in here um, simply because it's got so high. Um, so went out and did it, and it was amazing the the uh, the finish. And obviously, uh, no fertilizer is needed at no the moment. No fertilizer. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> okay. Uh, are there, there are other things that you can put on the lawns, like soil wetters. You've been talking about the importance of soil wetters. Are the soil too wet to put on a soil wetter? Um, look, at, at the moment, um, soils will be very saturated, but it's it's make the connection in your mind that um, um, that the difference that water makes deep down in the profile is profound as far as a lawn's concerned. So. Um, you see, you see the transformation so quickly, and you did nothing else other than, you know, receive the water that came from the sky. So, um, um, knowing that and and realizing that and seeing the difference, um, when when we get later on into the season when it does dry down, um, adding adding soil wetters to your to your maintenance program will continue to deliver similar sort of results. It's it's fascinating to to see what happens to a lawn when you can deliver water deep down, and and when your soil dries out, it can tend to resist a bit of um, resist water um, more frequently it can, can become a bit non-wetting and so just just helping it along with wetting agents is 
is um, amazing. There so are opportunists in every garden, and one of the biggest opportunists, of course, are weeds. The combination of supersaturated uh, uh, yeah. topsoil and weeds ready to go because the soil temperature is starting to rise. What yeah. to do in terms of weeds? Yeah, um, and that that will happen. Then you'll get a you'll get a germination um, very quickly, and they'll they'll um, jump for joy. Um, so, um, using some of the um, um, selective turf herbicides um, that are uh, even some of the newer ones that are around like bow and arrow um, is a good one um, for now um, less toxicity but really good results um, and I'd get onto that early what's bow and arrow got in it in terms of in- ingredient um, I actually on the top of my head it's uh, escaped me right now but it's a um, it's a very um, it's a broadleaf broad weedicide though it's a broadleaf weedicide yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's it's got a newer technology in it than some of the older ones and, and surprisingly less um, less toxic so yeah. um um, very, very good. Yeah. Okay, well, I'll check up on that one, and uh, yeah, <laughs> maybe we can work that one into your lawn blog. And incidentally, just uh, anybody that wants good te- topical information, t- uh, uh, Stefan provides a, a weekly lawn blog. Just put in Stefan Palm lawn blog and uh, subscribe to that. It's just brilliant information. And probably the bit that uh, I liked last week, you were talking about the wet soils, or the wet lawns and the potential for patches appearing because of fungal diseases. Yeah, and it's a thing. Um, you would have noticed, everyone would have noticed the humidity that we've had over the last week and the extra um, moisture, obviously. And um, you put those two things together and you get a, a, a lawn thatch that's not drying out um, a lot. Um, and that in itself isn't a problem for the lawn, but it does create a really good environment for passing fungal spores to land and to grow. And so if you do notice that you've got patches that appear uh, very quickly, like over the, over the course of a day or two, one day it's looking good, the next day it's looking very ordinary, then um, get out there and um, get a, um, a fungicide on. And you, you were talking earlier about mancozeb as a protectant. Um, if you do notice a small patch, like a, a protectant like mancozeb will stop it spreading, um, if it's more than that, if you've got a lot of it, um, a proper um, translaminar um, fungicide uh, will help out. Stephen Palm, thank you for joining us in Talkback Gardening in 2023. We love having you aboard and look forward to you joining us in 2024 as well. Thank you. Thank you. Stefan Palm, our turf consultant. If you haven't won anything from ABC Radio Adelaide in the last month and you would like to win an ABC Gardening Australia magazine, we've got one to give away on the text line. Put your name, full name, full postal address and text it to 0467922891 or call in on 1300 222891 if you haven't won anything from ABC Radio Adelaide in the last month. Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Diane in Hawthorne, what is eating your fern, Diane? Yes, morning. I'm wondering about that. My maidenhair fern, which is in the ground, has little moths and sometimes looks rather moth-eaten. And how can I fix it? It's in the ground. Is it uh, not in containers, just growing in the ground? No, in the ground. It has shade mesh over it. Um, Yeah. If it was uh, maidenhair fern and in the ground and it's a shady position, I would presume, I would be very suspective of slugs. Oh, slow snails, but we've had a, a, a very significant increase in the slug population. They're out there, and normally at this time of the year, they go to sleep, have a little rest over the warmer weather, but it's <laughs> pretty wet, and they're still active out there. And there's lots of little small slugs out there, and they absolutely love maiden hair ferns. And if they're coming up and just eating the eating the tips out of the, uh, the stems, is that correct? Uh, yes, but I'm also I am checking for slugs, and I have found some. But I also find little tiny moths flying around. You're saying they're moths? Kind of a, We're moths. talking about moths, M-O-T-H-S, moths. Correct. Yeah. Okay. yeah. 
They're on the ground. They're a little buff cover colour. Yeah. Okay. Well, the moss won't cause damage. The moss don't right. eat. It's the ca- the young stage the of the moss. Yeah. The caterpillars that cause the damage. Um, yes, and you'll yes. find that those slugs, you, you you can't find them, but they're there. They hide in the smallest of places. So I would have a little program of trying to reduce the population using one of the iron-based uh, uh, materials to reduce, just feed them with iron. Uh, that'll reduce their population. If you think that uh, there are caterpillars out there, then Success uh, Ultra is the chemical that will control caterpillars, and uh, I think you'll find that it's either one of those others, but I'd put my money at this stage on slugs. Good luck with that, Diane. Tom's in Holden Hill. Tom, your figs aren't forming. Oh, no. Good morning. Yeah, uh, last year I've got three or four varieties, all grown from cuttings, and uh, I've been eating fruit off them for years. But... um, Last year, and it looks like again this year, except for one variety, that, that some of them are the size of a bloody pea. Normally by about mid-January, one, the one that's closest to the house is usually loaded with ripe fruit, but they're just not um, developing fast enough. Do you have so, fig varieties that give you two fruits, uh, two, two lots of fruits in a no. season, an early crop and a late crop? The one, the, the early one gives me two fruits. I uh, Two crops, sorry. Right. Um, that's a black, black skin one. But the other ones, um, yeah, I'm just the, the tastiest one. To be perfectly honest, is the one that um, seems to be suffering the most. And some of the fruit, as I said, is only about the size of a big pea. Yeah. Some of, and some of the other fruit on the same tree are about double that size. But normally, again. About mid-January, I'm normally stuffing my face with the figs off that tree. It hasn't been the happiest season for figs. Figs like lots of warmth, and uh, it started off uh, warm, but then it became much cooler than average, particularly soil temperatures. And you'll find that figs probably are a couple of weeks behind in terms of maturity, and so that would give you a smaller fruit at this stage, and I think it's one of those all things come to those that wait. I don't know that I'd do too much. You may find that uh, uh, you're getting... Some good fruit and they'll size up and the little small ones, little pea ones, probably will drop onto the ground. And that's probably because they haven't been properly pollinated um, and that is probably goes back to seasonal conditions much earlier in the season. So well, I don't I know that you can do... Yeah, go on, keep, keep yeah. going. I was going to say, I didn't get anything off those other trees at all last year and some of them were about three-quarter size um, before all the, the cold weather of autumn, late autumn set in. And exactly that, they just all dropped on the ground. They're, they're a fertilised, yeah. but, but they're just not... I think it's... Yeah, when exactly when you prune, are you a hard pruner? Or do you just let... Uh, well, I did prune that one three years ago, but yeah. normally um, it wouldn't produce the fruit on, on the... Yeah, OK. Well, listen, I think... Uh, uh, have a look at how to prune fig trees. That's most important. I think you'll find that often it's very, very easy to over-prune and you get uh, uh, very, very e- you get new, new growth and you get the fruit on the new growth, so you need uh, to stimulate it to get new growth. But if you cut it back too hard, you get lots and lots of growth without getting the fruit. So I think uh, bone up on how to prune your fruit trees correctly uh, well, I think might be uh, give you the answer. We're running out of time. Yeah, sorry, Tom. We've got the 10 o'clock news bearing down upon us. Thank you. We've had so many text messages particularly for Michael Palamount, and there's just no way we could get to even a third of them. But thank you very much for sending them through. And thank you to Sarah, who sent through a lovely Christmas card for you and I, John, on the text line there. And congratulations to Margot in Athelston, Martin in Victor Harbour, and Sue in Port Lincoln, who have won our magazines. John. We've got seconds to go. Well, but, uh... next week, a special pre-Christmas program. Brett Draper, wonderful horticulturalist, will join the program. He'll share the information. And I think between yourself, Deb, and Brett and myself, maybe we can have a, a Merry Christmas. But until next week, good gardening.